Well, this is our Father's world. It's great to have you here all this morning in a slightly diminished crowd. <clears throat> Folks from the mountain, too. Welcome, Gary. And uh, <clears throat> we are uh, back into lockdown, as you heard. So um, welcome to all those out in the Zoom land as well. I um, got word this week, I guess, that our uh, friend uh, Randy Lewin, who has uh, preached sometime in this uh, pulpit, I remember last summer anyway, and a few years prior to that, uh, he has contracted COVID, so he and his uh, wife are both in quarantine for the next 10 days, and I asked him about uh, what was going on, and and he said, well, uh, he thought that he, he felt exhausted and he felt uh, a tightness in, uh, in his chest and in his throat. He said, it just seems like a pretty bad cold, but he thought that he'd probably be all right. So, so remember Randy in your prayers. Um, this morning, I wanted to uh, take a little time, uh, possibly because this was the... Uh, the beginning of another lockdown, and it seems like, uh, I, I don't know if you are, but uh, we're getting tired of this conversation. It seems to be always revolving around the virus and everything else, and I don't know, I find myself just wanting to try hard to find something else to talk about, grass or something. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so here we are, and uh, I guess as we remind ourselves of some uh, principles for Christian living. Uh, living the life in Christ is what I've thought the message should be. Um, you know, we do have to live in this world with all its sin and all its brokenness, but understand me when I say we don't have to live in the world with all of its sin and brokenness. The Christian very much lives a double life in so many ways. We're here, but our citizenship is not here. So I've chosen this uh, passage from uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. It's a short passage, right uh, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, but I guess maybe I'll read from uh, verse 5. It's an instruction about prayer. Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into, the, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven 
our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, uh, I'm going to focus most of my attention actually on uh, verses uh, 10 through to 13. <clears throat> but um, I was reminded of a habit that I started up when I was probably, I don't know, late teens, early 20s. It was uh, an interest in the news. I guess there could be worse habits. It wasn't really that exciting, but... Uh, particularly the CBC National News. It uh, seemed to coincide with 10 o'clock, and since I mostly went to bed at 10.30, uh, I could uh, watch the national news on CBC and get a perspective of what was happening across the country. And then that way, if there wasn't much going on, I'd, I'd go to sleep without much on my mind. <laughs> but if there was uh, other things, it gave you something to think about. So anyway, I got this habit going on, and I was just noting over the years how news media has changed. It seemed like uh, back in those days, I remember kind of becoming aware of the right, left, and the center of things. You know, you'd get a, I don't know, a natural disaster or some kind of a thing that was happening in the, in the country, whether it was in uh, Nova Scotia or Vancouver, it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, they would do the same thing. They'd report what they knew about the event. Then they'd get a perspective from somebody over here. And then they'd get a perspective of somebody kind of in the middle. And then they'd get a perspective of somebody over here. And then what you were left with was kind of the ability to kind of make up your mind what uh, was actually going on or what you thought about the whole thing. It didn't take long, I think. Uh, well, I suppose it might have been a decade. But anyway, uh, I remember noting that Several times you'd get a perspective of something over here and a lot of coverage over here. Then when we went to this side, well, there was very little coverage and sometimes uh, there was even somebody that was in mid-sentence and they'd cut him off and you wouldn't get to hear everything that he said. And the last time I watched the national news, you just had a, a panel of experts and they told you what was going on and and uh, you just had to listen because they already had it all figured out. <laughs> and so in other words, they tell you what to think. Uh, but I'm reminded of the words of CBS newsman Walter Cronkite, who finished off every news broadcast with the words, and that's the way it is for, well, you give the, the, the date then. And he seemed to put a lot of time into ensuring that uh, his listeners really got the truth. He seemed to be convicted over that, that you understood what he was talking about. And uh, then, of course, there was that sportscaster, Howard Cosell, telling you like it is. He would say, I'm just telling you like it is. Well, in our passage this morning, uh, the disciples, of course, are being preached to, and the crowd is as well. I guess, uh, I think it's Luke's gospel that uh, uh, the, the disciples ask how we should pray. And Jesus tells it like it is. 
And uh, being as our prayer life is a pretty good report card on how we're doing with our relationship with the Lord, it seemed like a good place to, to, to come into this. So first of all, in verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First lesson is a short lesson, but isn't it a great privilege that we have that ability to call the almighty creator of the universe our Father and be in a relationship with him that we can take some time and communicate with him. And he communicates back to us right through this book here. And it's a wonderful relationship to be in, but it is a real relationship. And that's what he did when he reconciled the Christian believer to himself. He gave us part of that relationship that we lost back in the garden back to us. And uh, so the, the next uh, thing to, to take note of here is that uh, verse 10 says, sorry, uh, verse 9 says, uh, hallowed be your name. And uh, so it's, it's I guess, a, an interesting fact that um, the, the name of God is hallowed. It's holy. It's something not to be taken lightly. But for the Christian believer, you can take that on your lips and you can speak to him in, in, a, in a, I guess, a praiseworthy manner. And we have that relationship that just goes on. And uh, uh, we have that, uh, that relationship and, and we understand how great his name is. But this next... Uh, phrase here, your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, you know, it's, it's understanding that having given our lives to Christ, we also get the fact that uh, we died to ourselves. So primarily our great interest, our great ideas of what we think we need or what we want and what we would like to see happen really aren't all that important. It's about kingdom purposes and it's about you know, what his will is in our lives. And the, I guess the understanding more than that, that, uh, that what we're asking for, you know, we can get a little idea of what, what might happen, but the Lord is able to work all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And he does this. So when we ask for things, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. Nonetheless, his purposes are far greater than ours. And then we get to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, I guess, you know, it's an understanding of the necessities of life, the, the food that we need, the things that we have to, to survive. But it carries with it also the idea that <clears throat> we are we're kind of uh, in a precarious position. We can lose our life. We depend on him to feed us. We depend on him to give us these things. But the fact is, this life, it's winding down. And some days, 
someday we are going to find ourselves in a place where we're gone. And, uh, you know, he's the giver and he's the sustainer of life. But more than that, he is able to uh, provide for our needs. But one of the greatest needs he provides for is the fact that we are in this relationship and as Christians, we don't have any fear in this. Uh, we're in this redeemed state in this kingdom of life that we live and well we know that our our death is imminent but at the same time it allows the christian to take a, a very close look at the whole thing and say well it is but hey we belong to the lord so there really is no fear in this whole situation so we know we have to face it someday and it's there because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, by extension, our own rebellion. You know, they were warned back in the garden. And they were told and they were threatened about not taking from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> and they were enticed with the good life and the relationship with God that they had had, had, and they already enjoyed but one temptation and they jumped at the chance with, for equality with God. And the result of all this is now, of course, we have uh, been in this kingdom of death but at one point we've come in contact with the gospel and Christ has saved us and now we belong into this kingdom of life. So we're kind of living in this, I don't know, I call it a, a double life, but we, uh, we're, we know that death is coming. We see death all around us. You know, I don't know, when you have uh, young children, it seems like you're just always watching. Death is never that far away from our, from our minds. Uh, you're always watching to keep them safe. We're always watching to keep them out of harm's way. You, you can't even go on a on a a holiday vacation somewhere without thinking, gee, I, maybe I better not do that because I could get killed doing that. So we have this, uh, I guess, sort of a, a right fear, but it's not an all-consuming fear. You know, uh, Bertrand Russell was that uh, great British, um, he was a, a mathematician, he was a, I guess, a kind of a philosopher, he was a a logistic, a, log, a, logist, a logish, logician, somebody that thinks logically anyway. That's what he was. He received a lot of awards and was sought out by many for his opinions on things. And, but the one thing that Bertrand Russell was also was an atheist. And as time wound down for this great man, this Nobel laureate, he got to the end of his life which I believe was about 1970. And he was asked about all of his accomplishments and if he found comfort looking back on them. And his words were, no, not really, because I am filled with a sense of grim, unyielding despair. How about that? Think about that. To get all through life, 
and be filled with a sense of grim, unyielding despair. And the Christian just doesn't have that. We have great hope in Christ and the one who conquered death. And you know, in another way, uh, you take a look at your body, at least I take a look at mine, and uh, take a look in the mirror. Oh, boy. Sometimes somebody will take a picture, and uh, then I'm looking at the picture on their phone later on, and I see this rough-looking old character over there. (laughs) And I say, wow, I know where that is. Who is that rough-looking old guy over there? And what's he doing wearing my clothes? (laughs) And then it kind of comes to the reality that, yeah, that's somebody that I know very well. Well, the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, we, in one way, are getting gray hair. We have aches and pains. We're not as stable as we once were. Things are not going as they were and we have memories of back in those days when we were 20 and 30 and it was just so much better, it seemed like. And so we look back and we know that we're not as good as we once were, but at the same time, there's a part of me that's getting better, isn't it? Because in this sanctifying process, the Lord is drawing me closer to himself. I say I, I mean us as Christians together. We're being sanctified, we're having a better relationship with him, and we're getting closer in that sense to him. So the body is wearing down, but our life in Christ, our spirit is getting closer to him. And someday, I plan to trade in this tent on a mansion, and it's going to be great. So don't feel that sorry for me when I'm gone. Because the Lord is in charge of my going. And it won't happen until he says, hey, your time there is done. Come on up. Verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debts debtors. In in this way, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, if we're a child of God, we have come into contact with the gospel. Somebody has been faithful to present that message to us. And we've understood the work that Christ did on Calvary's cross. We've believed in him, we've trusted in him, we've repented of our sins, and we are forgiven. And uh, It's true that we have accumulated a pile of debt before God. It's a sin debt. I think the the parallel parallel passage in Luke's gospel actually has the word sin there instead of debt. Forgive us our sins, and it's easy living in this world once again in our redemptive state, but it's easy to get messed up in it. We still have a sinful nature. and we still fall. We do some wrong things, and we sin. And then we think about it at the end of the day, and we say, oh boy, I did it again, didn't I? And we ask forgiveness, 
and he's faithful to forgive. But you know something? I am no less saved than I was back in that special day. I can't pinpoint it exactly, but it was back in the 1980s. And I'm no less saved back then than I am today. Neither are you. If you've believed in Christ, his blood shed on Calvary's cross and your faith in him, we're enough to save you. Sometimes it seems like you did something so boneheaded that you really lost it. But the reality is, you didn't help him at all with your salvation. It was because of his grace that you were saved. And because you didn't help him, you can't lose it. In a nutshell, you're eternally secure. And uh, you know something else? I'm no less saved than any of the greats. Those great philosophers we always think about, John Knox and Martin Luther and John Calvin and... Um, Chuck Colson, <laughs> uh, Charles Spurgeon. Let's put Billy Graham's name in there. All those guys that you just look at and you go, wow, they're such spiritual giants. We're no less saved than they are. We're still saved by grace. And we're on a level playing field in that matter, manner. But there's something else here. As the verse continues, it says, also as we have forgiven our debtors. And at a quick glance, we can walk away from that and say, oh, I mean, God's forgiven me. All I have to do is forgive anybody that, that uh, uh, sins against me. It won't be hard. But there is something to the fact that we don't do that all that well. When we get into a spat or some kind of a thing and you know that you've been sinned against, and this passage is telling us to expect that, you are going to be sinned against. And somebody else is going to rack up a debt against you too. And you are going to be in this position where you're going to have to forgive your parents, your siblings, your children, uh, your neighbors and friends, your church family. They're all going to do something wrong against you. And uh, there's a part of us that always likes to kind of grind around what they said or did or something like that. And we grind it through our minds and we think, oh boy. They've really, they've really, really injured me this time. <clears throat> but uh, you know something? We have to recognize that we're not in a position to hold that over anybody. You recall that uh, parable in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. I'm going to start reading verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So the servant fell on his knees. Boy, there's a picture of repentance. He fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Well, you know how the story goes. That same servant went out feeling free and happy. And he went out there and he found a guy that owed him 50 bucks. 
And he grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and he started to shake and he said, give me my 50 bucks. I want it right now. And I want it. And I'm not, I'm not just kidding. Pay up, buddy boy. And so what ended up happening? He threw him into prison and said, you're not getting out of there until you pay the last penny. And when the king heard about it, there was a comeuppance. Well, anyway, the fact is that we are living in this realm of forgiveness and pardon. And this fact of the truth of the God's word giving us the, um, the reality that we are going to be sinned against brings us into the place where we're able to forgive. We can expect that. And, uh, you know, we don't have to go around with this idea that I have to get even. There's something about sin. When it's against you, we hang on to it, and we don't want to let it go because I think maybe the idea of holding that, uh, holding that sin that that person did against us, uh, maybe it gives us a bit of a boost or something. It makes us feel good or I don't know what it is exactly, but it, why do we do that? What, what good is that to hang on to that? It's not helpful at all. It's got to be let go. But living in this realm of forgiveness and pardon, we also recognize that where there's sin, somebody has to die. Sin and death, they seem to run just like that. Christ had to die for our sins. When we became a believer in Christ, we also died to ourselves. We're alive to Christ, but dead to ourselves, dead to sin. So when this person sins against me, I can roll it around in my mouth and grind over it and, and just hold that against them where I can think to myself, well, you know what? I'm covered by the blood of Christ and he died for me. I can also die for you who sinned against me. I can forgive you. And in other words, I release you from my judgment that's covered. Forget it. It's done. I don't know if you remember back a few years ago, <clears throat> we had uh, David Mensah here, missionary from northern Ghana. He does a lot of jumping around when he's preaching, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, remember he told that story? It kind of stuck with me about his uncle. He was abandoned. Uh, David Mensah was abandoned by his mother and uh, orphaned by his father. So his uncle's family took him in. And in that part of Ghana where you were uh, very short of food, to abbreviate the story, I believe the idea was that, uh, well, if we didn't have David here, then we wouldn't have to feed him. So the uncle took in mind that he would drown him. Um, fast forward, I don't know, it would be 20 or 30 years. But uh, David escaped, by the way. Later on, 
David became a Christian, he became a pastor, and he brought, breathed new life. I should say, the Lord breathed new life into northern Ghana through his ministry. And uh, that same uncle that tried to drown David, he also became a Christian believer. And David had the great privilege of baptizing him. I don't know if it was the same body of water or not, but as he was about to lower his uncle for baptism, his uncle said, now, you really have forgiven me, haven't you? <laughs> kind of stuck with me, that story. Anyway, when one sins against us, we can let it go. We can die for that. We can cover it. And uh, I just want to read from Colossians here. Chapter 2 and verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? And then again in chapter 3 and verse 3. <clears throat> For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So I don't need to rehash, go around making sure that my story, my side of the story is known, making sure that <clears throat> that person that uh, uh, did something bad to me is you know, hauled up on the carpet or anything else and everybody finally realizes and I win the court of public opinion and they say, yep, that guy was wrong and you were right. We don't need to do that because this new life in Christ gives us the freedom to let it go. Well, moving right along to verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Something else this mindset does, this mindset, this new life in Christ, um, it makes us aware of the fact that there is also another kingdom going on. There's a, a very real devil. The life of faith recognizes that. You can't just discount him and think that he doesn't exist. <clears throat> and uh, I'm reminded of Revelation's Revelation chapter uh, 12 here, starting to read in verse 9, sorry, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. This great dragon was hurled down, the uh, ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have, ye, have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, sorry, woe to the earth and the sea, 
because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And the fact is that the time is short. The Lord will return and bring an end to all this. In the meantime, we have to live in this place. But we have a very real devil who is a very real deceiver, a tempter, and an accuser. And a general make a messer of stuff. And uh, he wants to kill me. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill us all collectively. But again, does the believer live in fear? Well, he's, the devil is out there to certainly make a mess, but we are asking God to deliver us from the evil one. You ever wondered about how many times that happens during a day and you don't even see it? There's a, there are things happening in the heavenly realms that we just don't really get to see but they're taking place. Um, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will make him, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. It's one of those things that, you know, uh, you can recognize that the Lord is very active. Oh, I'm not saying the devil's not active, but the Lord is more active and much more powerful. Satan is the defeated enemy. Uh, that scripture verse that I read from Revelation 12 talked about his time being short. I don't know if you know your World War II history very well, but remember uh, what was called the Battle of the Bulge? Uh, the, the Germans were basically surrounded and getting beaten back by the Allies very seriously. In fact, uh, <clears throat> I believe it was Erwin Rommel that went to Adolf Hitler and said, the Allies are ashore, get there fast and ask for terms of peace because you're not going to win after they get ashore, after D-Day. But after all that, did the Germans just stop fighting and say, sorry, we're beat, we can't win in on this? No, the Battle of the Bulge was a serious event that went on for, I think it was... I forget now, it was a, one month or three months, but it went on for quite some time afterwards. And uh, a lot of the Allies lost their lives in that. There's something about getting your time shortened so that you know that things are really going to come together and you know, you're going to have to face the, face the, uh, the music. It makes you fight all the more. So don't be surprised when you hear about people with, you know, all kinds of temptations. Don't be surprised when you hear about 
suicide. Don't be surprised when people are struggling with ongoing depression and that kind of a thing. Woe to you in the earth and the sea because Satan has gone down to you. So here we are, but we also have a great redeemer. We also have a heavenly father who is very active. And he's bringing us through the minefields and the pitfalls of life. And comfort yourself with the idea that it won't always be this way. Uh, Romans uh, 16 verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So that's what's going to happen. And so, if you are in this position where you're, I guess, looking around and waiting for uh, the Lord to return, living your life the best you can, but you're so distraught when you see government decisions being made, Bill C-6, Bill C-7, that kind of thing being passed and considered that uh, Bill C-6 will pass. You know, and you think, what are you thinking, people? Can't you see that you're just falling right into the trap? Satan's got this planned out for you and you guys aren't doing anything about it because he's a deceiver and he's able to masquerade as an angel of light. And so when something like Bill C-6 Bill C-7 comes along. That's the euthanasia bill, you know. They hide it behind that acronym called MAID, Medical Assistance in Dying. But did you know that it's also been expanded to include someone with mental illness now? It's just moving that much further along so that a person who is, you know, desperately ill, just say the word and we can end it all for you. But we have to expand that. We have to expand that and make it easier to execute you all the time. No more waiting for the Lord to do this. No more recognizing that the greatest need that people have are for Christ in their lives. No, we've become all too familiar with the idea that if it's bugging you, kill it. And so that's where we're at. And it bugs me when I hear that. And I just want to go up to somebody and give them a good cuff and say, wake up, what's wrong with you? But the fact is that I know it won't always be this way. And I know why it's happening. Because we're in this place that is very much affected by a very real devil. So they wrap this up. I guess the questions for you are, are you afraid of your death? And if you are, you need to ask yourself why. Because you're not going to leave this place until the Lord God says you're going to. It's not up to you to preserve your life. You won't go one second early or one second late. But are you in that saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have that great uh, relationship with God that you visit, that you spend time with him every day, not just once a day, but during the day? Um, you know, if it sounds like I'm preaching to you here, 
I am in a way, but I'm also not because I'm preaching to myself. It's difficult to do. I recognize that. You get wound up in your own little things you're doing, and it's easy to kind of put God on a back burner, put him someplace where you're not really thinking about him very much, but he's there with you all the time. And what about you? Are you afraid that the sin that only God and you know about will he'll eventually say, yeah, well, that one I'm holding for a special time and now you're going to get it. It's not the way it goes. Your sins were covered and you were judged for your sins at Calvary's cross and you won't ever stand judgment for those again. You're justified. You're reconciled. And you live in a state of perfection before God because the one you believe in, our great Savior, Christ, was also perfect. And your sins are covered by his blood. <clears throat> what about those other guys that you're not forgiving, that you're hanging on to something? <sighs> well, just remember that passage from Matthew 18. And like David Mensah said about his uncle, let it go. Got to let it go. And are you irritated, like I am, by those things that you see that take place around you? So, obviously, Satan's handiwork, dressed up to appear like something right and good. But remember this, it won't be like this forever. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Father, we're just thankful this morning as we trust you, we can come to you. We are able to recognize that there is no greater power. There is no greater Savior because there is no other Savior. The one that you gave us, the way that you planned this out way back in the Garden of Eden, that we would be reconciled to you through that one who is Christ. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith, that you would make us, uh, make him more real to us, that you would make us more aware of his activities around us, and that uh, daily we would get into the habit of communication with you. We give you thanks for this opportunity of worship today. And there's no greater place to be on a Sunday morning. We pray for direction in the days ahead for our, uh, for our church, for this business with the lockdown and whatever else has to happen in the days ahead. Lord, we know that you are over all of this. And we don't ask for it, this virus business to just come to an end suddenly because we know that you are accomplishing something through all this. And I don't really know what that is, but we know that you do. So we rest in that goodness. We rest in your truth. And we are comforted by the fact that you are great and that you are in us. We want to remember our friend Randy Lewin this morning and his wife Allison as they... Uh, 
suffer with this virus, we ask that you will be very near to them, that you will comfort them from this, uh, this time where they will be uh, worshiping on their own today. But uh, we do pray that you would bring healing to them and, and uh, restore them to their ministry that they have. We're just grateful for the relationship with, that we have with them. But more than anything else, we are grateful for the relationship we have with you this morning because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.